Did you know you have the power to change your life? It all depends on your beliefs. If you have limiting beliefs, you're limit yourself. I'm Becky Beach, and I'm here to help you overcome your limiting beliefs so you can design your dream life. This is the Becky Beach Show. It's the Becky Beach Show podcast. I'm Becky Beach, and today's guest is Katie Kimball. She's the founder of Kids Cook Real Food eCourse and also host of the Healthy Parenting Connector Show. Welcome, Katie. Oh, thank you, Becky. I'm always excited to talk to other moms who feed their kids, which is that's all of us. Oh, yes. Like I'm having a I'm having trouble myself, like because I work so much and then like I don't have the time to cook. So that's what you help with, correct? Um, it is really anything in the kitchen, mm-hmm. food, eating, kids. It's all in my bucket. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, so let me know about your business. Yeah, it's been apparently it's been eight years now. Facebook reminded me the other day with some photos of like filming our, our e-course eight years ago. Um, we've been helping families all around the world teach their kids to cook. My um, my big mission really is to get kids in the kitchen, feeling confident that they can do an authentic life skill, right? Like we, we mm-hmm. teach our kids a lot of stuff. We give them a lot of participation ribbons. We, you know, we kind of tell them good job, maybe too much. And, and some of it falls flat, but there's no denying that if a child or a teen can feed another person, right. If we can nourish some, a human being and keep them alive, like they don't need to hear good job because they can feel that that's authentic. And, and there's nothing more that I, than you know, that I love to see, than kids feeling that confidence in the kitchen. And we even find that that confidence then affects other areas of life, their academics, their social life. So it's become, you know, I started out, I practically wanted to teach kids to cook because I wanted my kids to be able to eat healthily after they left my home. And mm-hmm. it, we've learned so many other just amazing benefits in the last eight years. That's amazing. Yeah, my, my child, he can cook a grilled cheese sandwich. Like he's recently been allowed to use the toaster oven. And I think he, that's about it. He can't reach the microwave. It's kind of above our stove. So he yeah, can't, yeah. can't reach up that far. Is your, how old is he? Six or seven? I'm oh, he's seven. He'll be eight next month. Okay. He's, he's staying home sick today. So you may, may hear him in the background. Like he, he's Aww. like, he said he had a tummy ache. Oh, <laughs> that's, I know that's, that's like an interruption for moms. So, so seven is like one of those magic ages. If I can just tackle that. So we actually started teaching kids to cook at age two. Wow. Two years old. Oh yeah. We're talking like, give them a butter knife and a banana, teach them how to hold it. Like kids are so excited between the ages of two and five to do what their parents are doing. Right. They still think we're amazing people before mm-hmm. they go off to elementary school and they just want to be us. And so that's a great time. You know, if any listeners have kids below five or six, oh, that intrinsic motivation is something we've got to figure out how to say yes to, because it's, it's just too easy to be like, no, 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 no. You know, mommy's got it. Like, don't, you don't need to be in here. Right. Cause we don't want them to slow us down. We don't really maybe embrace the mess that little ones make. Um, but what that does, unfortunately, is it kind of trains their brains that the kitchen is not a place for me. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then when they're eight and nine and they're perfectly capable of being immensely helpful, their brains are still saying the kitchen's not a place for me. So they're going to really fight back and power struggle when you then ask them to help for the first time. So not that you can't, it's not insurmountable, but it's awesome to start them super early. So for our little ones who are, you know, working with butter knives and peelers and, Mm -hmm. you know, we got kids making their own PB and J like that doesn't, that's not hard but it's a skill. 
And it's something that a lot of three-year-olds have never been given the opportunity to try. So when you've got kids who start Mm -hmm. younger, by the time they're seven or eight, they're like moving on to chef's knives. (laughs) Wow. Chef's knives. I'll be scared. I couldn't have my little baby use that. I think of him as a baby still. No, that's not good. You know, and you know what, that's actually something that holds a ton of parents back. Like I I kind of like to point out that if you look at your son's writing from kindergarten when he was five or six, and when you look at his writing, you know, this school year, when he's seven, almost eight, and maybe into next school year, it's amazing, Mm -hmm. right? The letters get smaller, like their small motor control grows by leaps and bounds in that time. They basically learn to read. They basically, you know, they go from writing single words to writing paragraphs and, you know, we kind of see that happening in school, but we forget to extrapolate that to home, that, that all of their capacities are growing by leaps and bounds in that magic age between five and eight. So I know I hear you say like, oh my goodness, could never give my baby a chef's knife. And you shouldn't first, right? Like he should still start with a dinner knife. And then he can move to a short pairing knife with appropriate mm-hmm. foods. I love zucchinis and cucumbers because they're like that medium density where you, yeah. don't have to, you don't have to work too hard, but it's still handy to have a sharp knife. Plus they're really long. So we, we tell our kids, Hey, Hey, out of the way, the hold the food holding hand is Hey, Hey, out of the way. And then the sharp knife is doing the work. And once kids have, you know, a year under their belts with a pairing knife and you've seen them show their responsibility, you've seen them be safe. And they feel ready when both of you feel ready. Like it's actually not that hard to slide them into a chef's knife. So I'm thinking like my kid, number three, he's 12 now, but when he was seven, that was when he actually approached me and said, mom, can I graduate to a chef's knife? Oh, wow. I, oh, I know for you to cut his fingers off or something. <laughs> well, he'd been using a paring knife for a couple of years. So he knew like at kids cook real food, we teach these fun phrases like, Hey, he out of the way up and over soldier. And, you know, we just have like different ways to talk about how to hold the food and how to hold the knife. And they're the same for our butter knives all the way to our chef's knives, you know? So it's like this kind Mm -hmm. of unbroken line and you're just changing the tool, but you don't have to change what you do with your hands. So as long as, you know, they're growing and developing as humans and their, their small motor control is getting better and better every month, they're, they're kind of ready if, you know, once you've trained them. So like I said, your son would start with a butter knife still yeah. until he's comfortable. And then, then you're like, oh, well, I guess if he can treat this with respect as if it's sharp, okay, maybe I can, I can see myself easing him into a paring knife, right? Like it's not, it's not zero to chef's knife. <laughs> it's, oh yeah. It's butter knife, <laughs> paring knife, chef's knife. So that's really the, the order is really important. The right food's really important. The right moves are really important. But when you've got all that, raw material, most kids really, really can handle it. And they love being given the responsibility, which is a great thing to watch as a parent. I just love this. So how did you get started doing this? You know, I'm a teacher by trade. I've known since kindergarten that I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And that's my degree. I taught third grade for a couple of years. And then we started having a family. And as a perfectionist, I knew I couldn't full-time teach and full-time mom because they would both break. (laughs) And I would break in the middle, you know, I just wouldn't be good. I wouldn't be good enough at both of them. Um, So I I came home and after child number two, when we ran our numbers, we were in the red as a young married couple with one income and two kids. Um, So I was just kind of, at first it started, I was looking for a way to make money. (laughs) I thought, do I sell pampered chef? Do I like have to tutor kids? I didn't know what to do, Yeah. but I'd been learning a lot 
in, you know, child rearing about nutrition and how to cook from scratch. That wasn't like part of, that wasn't something I knew how to do in college, you know? So I made all the mistakes. I burnt all the biscuits, (laughs) you know, I made the slowest meals ever because I was so terrible at it. So my teacher brain was always churning at the cutting board. Like, how can I help other moms just avoid these wicked mistakes that, that I'm making personally. And I ended up starting a blog at kitchen stewardship. This is way back in 2009 and just trying to help moms like take baby steps, do one thing at a time. You know, here's how we can give ourselves grace. So we don't just give up because it's hard, Mm -hmm. but feed our family as well. And then teaching kids to cook grew out of that because so many moms in our generation were like, gosh, Katie teaching, like cooking healthy is so hard because I was never taught to cook anything. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Same, same here. Like I, I'm like, well, I guess I just had to teach myself and I cut my mother never really taught us how to cook. Yeah. It's totally common. I think for pretty much the babies of the eighties and nineties, like, you know, and maybe, and maybe our moms weren't cooking a lot. That was kind of the convenience food surge, but ba- you know, if we're uncomfortable in the kitchen, it's not something we're passing on to our kids. And I'm like, this is just going to be a cycle. You know, mm-hmm. our kids are going to grow up and get married and be like, well, no one taught me to cook this is really hard. So as a, as a teacher and a mom, I'm like, I think I'm the right person to kind of step into that gap and help parents give these skills to their kids. So how are you, how are you able to market your business? Like, what do you do to, to get the word out? Everything and anything. No. Um, as far as online business, it's one of those things where you just, I think, you know, figure it out mm-hmm. as you go along. I'm a huge people person. So rather than being analytical and and doing ads and figuring all that out, I'd much rather chat with people and be on podcasts like this. And um, Mm -hmm. I I love working with affiliates where other people have, you know, their audience who know and love them. And that's my favorite thing is when I see people, um, other influencers or other bloggers or podcasters, when anytime they're talking about their kids cooking or wishing that their kids can cook, I'm like, Hey, I can help. And here's, you know, let's, let's get your kids using our course. And then you can talk about it to your audience who knows, likes, and trusts you. And they can send them my way in exchange for commission. So that's, that's kind of my preferred way is just building community and building a network of people who can, who can talk to their, their audience and tell them how important kids cooking is. Yeah. That's a really great. Cause I, like I tried to run Facebook ads like last month and then I just didn't have any luck, luck, you know, I guess I wasn't targeting the right people. I just have the magic formula, but I I just end up wasting a lot of money on it, you know? Yep. Same, same story here. It it does not make me feel good like running ads. I'd I'd much rather connect with people. So I like running free events too. Mm -hmm. I'll do free, you know, free hour long trainings or free picky eating challenges. That's a big thing that I realized that a lot of parents maybe don't they're not like super excited about teaching their kids to cook at face value. Some are, but many more parents are really worried about their kids' actual eating intake. So I did some picky eating training as well. So it's like, it's like step zero <laughs> to teaching kids to cook. Yeah. It's like sort of helping families set up the systems to help their kids approach food with curiosity instead of fear and like make friends with their food. And then a big piece of that is, well, Hey, you know, you can make friends with your food in the kitchen preparing without that pressure to eat. So teaching kids to cook is a huge help for picky eating. So that's kind of, I do, I do some picky eating challenges and help parents like move from frustration to feeling confident and Mm -hmm. empowered. And those, those are, I mean, those are exciting for me too. I love seeing kids in the kitchen, but I also love hearing about families where the stress is reduced 
at the dinner table. Cause that's such a critical time of day, yes. not only for like health and nutrition, but just for your family bonding and connectedness and togetherness. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of big fan of family dinners. That's great. So kids can actually help out. So the stress isn't on the mom because moms just have enough stress as it is. Like a lot of moms have to work during the day. Like I have to work and my husband works. And and then at the end of the day, you're just so tired and just can't do anything. So it would be more helpful if the kid is actually contributing to the meal. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, so my kids right now, Becky, are 18, 15, 12, and eight. Um, so my youngest is, you know, your oldest age. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, I'm in the living the dream phase where I've, <laughs> I've put in the work, you know, for the last eight years to teach them to cook. And it's very common for me to be standing here at my computer, you know, working or doing a podcast recording and the house starts to smell good. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's uh-huh. Leo's turn to cook tonight. Oh, great. So she's cooking for everybody. Awesome. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the end game, right? Like you haven't, you've got to put in the work as with anything mm-hmm. in parenting. Um, but it's, it's a benefit to the family. It's also a benefit to the child. You know, it's not totally selfish for me to just share the responsibility, but that was absolutely one of my personal motivations was just like, I can't keep up anymore. Feeding six people. Oh, six people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> four, well, four, four kids. kids right. Yeah. <laughs> you have a husband, I presume too. And yeah, yeah. I taught him to cook too. So he takes a meal a week. It's I'm living the <laughs> That's hard to teach men to cook. Well, y'all know there's a lot of men that do cook, but you know, I'm not trying to be, you know. <laughs> he was he was sweet about it. He he asked for simple, <laughs> simple recipes. But yeah. So it's so it does. I mean, it's a very nice family system that we can all pitch in. And I won't say it's perfect. I won't say my kids like don't complain you know, when they're asked to help, but by and large, they know they have these skills and and they're willing to contribute. Yeah. I like how, how you, um, how you're really, really good at helping picky eaters. Cause my, my child, he only wants to see a grilled cheese sandwich, Mackey cheese, like macaroni and cheese. That's about it. Maybe pizza. That's all he wants to eat. He doesn't want to eat any vegetables. So I've been trying to call it dinosaur trees to kind of trick them into thinking it's cool to eat broccoli. You know, like what, what are your advice for some moms out there that are trying to deal with picky eaters? Well, I will, I'll give you, I have like a five-step process, but I'll give you the three-step process just Mm -hmm. for like the the tip of the iceberg. Um, The first step is to set some boundaries around snack time. Okay. And this is, this is not necessarily going to make a change for every kid, but it's a really important foundation to keep a buffer of time between snacks and meals Mm -hmm. and between meals and snacks on the other side. Right. Because honestly, if a kid is coming to dinner and they're not very hungry, you know, they've still, they've kind of filled up on snack because their snack was too hugongous or because it was too close to a meal. Mm-hmm. You serve those dinosaur trees. They are not going to care. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? they, their, their body is not telling them they have to eat. So it's just a choice. And also if the kid knows that it's a habit or an option to like wheel back into the kitchen 30 minutes after a meal and get some chips or some crackers or something that's, you know, more fun for them again, dinner's totally optional. So that's the last thing we want. If we're going to put in the time to make dinner, you know, or even heat some frozen broccoli, we want them to eat it. So step one is MS 91 and done meals and snacks, at least 90 minutes apart, one snack between meals, one serving of snack so that they have some semblance of an appetite, right? Hunger is not evil. Hunger is a good thing. It tells you that your body needs some nourishment, right? our kids to learn how it feels to be hungry. Um, and then step two 
is, so step one, prepare the space, prepare the appetite. Step two mm-hmm. is lead with your ace. That's where your dino trees. Come yeah. <laughs> um, because the first bites that we eat as human beings, not just kids, taste the best. Yeah. Right? You go out to a restaurant. It, everything tastes amazing. Thank goodness it doesn't taste the best when you're eating the last bites on the plate or we'd all like overeat all the time. Right. So that's really natural. The first bites taste the best. So what we want to do is put out whatever we most want them to eat for many kids. That's veggies. Some kids have, have protein problems. So we'll do a protein ACE, mm-hmm. um, but you're going to put out that ACE with nothing else on the table, no other options with no expectation to eat, you know, no parental pressure and just see what happens as a child with an appetite encounters those veggies. Um, sometimes that's just like a bowl of carrots. <laughs> that's all the time you got, right? Baby carrots, whoop, in a bowl. Yeah. Better carrots and dip because dip is fun and a little bit motivating. Um, some parents will do like a soup course or a salad course. And all those are mm-hmm. great. The easiest is veggies and dip. And you, then you just let them explore, let them experience. Again, you, there's no expectation, no pressure to eat. Some for a lot of people, mm-hmm. the combo deal of those two, preparing the space and leading with your ace, works some magic. Kids are at least smelling, tasting, maybe eating, you know, and those are all successes. Then the third part is keeping our poker face. And oh. this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is really important that yeah. kids don't feel like we have so much riding on what they eat, right? Because if they know we're very deeply emotionally invested in the outcome of the meal, right? And what they eat. And especially if they're in that, like, I don't know, like 10 and up, there are some eight-year-olds who are really stubborn too. If they're in like that pushback phase mm-hmm. where they really don't want to do what their parents want them to do, the more we're invested in what they eat, the more they're going to push back. Right. Yeah, that's so, so true. Yes. So I teach parents phrases like, you don't have to eat that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your choice. Now they don't have the choice to go get something else. They need to, you know, their choices are whatever's on the table, but that poker face is really important for leading with your ACE. Oh no, you don't have to eat it. You can just experience your food. Um, and we teach, I teach a lot of growth language poker face terms as well. Like, oh, your taste buds just aren't grown up yet. Or you might like that when you're older, just, we want to really set the narrative in kids' brains that their taste buds will change. Their palates will change. And what they eat now isn't fixed, right? That there's an opportunity mm-hmm. for growth. So the, the combo of those three things, prepare the space with snack time, lead with your ace veggies first, and mm-hmm. keeping that poker face throughout the meal. P.S. That includes if your child does eat something new, you don't throw a celebration because that, <laughs> that gives up the secret that you're deeply emotionally invested in what they eat, right? Yeah. And sometimes it embarrasses them. If, you know, if you're at the family dinner and there's people watching, even if it's just dad. So that poker face is really important. We need, we want a good relationship with our kids. We want our kids to have a great relationship with food. We don't need to be in the middle. So you recommend taking kids with you grocery shopping so they can like help help you design the meals? Yes, for sure. Um, Yes. Grocery shopping with kids is great. And I'll tackle designing the meals because that's like a little bit of a nuanced question, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, The the brain science is awesome about kids' exposure to food. So kids who are going to be more selective, who are kind of turning away various foods, most likely they just have a higher tolerance need for that food. You know, like when, when your child was a toddler, people probably said, oh, like, don't just try peas once, like, make sure you try peas 
10 times, right? Oh yeah. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> but like 10 isn't the number for all kids, right? For some kids, they're going to have to try peas like a hundred times or 150 oh, wow. times. Yeah. If they're real selective or maybe sensory sensitive, especially or on the autism spectrum, this all increases incidences of picky eating tendencies. So, so some kids have this really high, what I call exposure bucket. We don't know what their number will be. We just know we have to keep exposing mm. them. The good news is exposure doesn't mean a taste. It can be a touch. It can be a smell. So yes, grocery shopping, washing, the produce, cutting up the produce with whether it's a butter knife or a chef's knife, you know, serving it to the rest of the family, even this simple act, Becky, of passing a plate of food around mm -hmm. your dinner table is an exposure because they get that whiff of smell. Even if they don't touch it, putting one bite on their plate is another exposure. So that's, that's the good news about something like grocery shopping is it can tick up those exposure opportunities to like seven in one meal, right? Instead of one. We also definitely want kids to have agency and choice. So letting them, you know, a lot of parents will take kids to the store and say, why don't you choose something from the produce section that you've never tried? And we'll all try it as a family and you don't have to eat it, but we'll see what happens, you know, and oh, just like, I be love really that. Curious. yeah, like really detective yeah. kind of science geek curious with your kids. Uh -huh. um, that's how we want to talk about food. We want to talk about food's properties and um, like how it tastes and how it smells and different ways we can prepare it as opposed to like, this is a good food for you, or this is a bad food for you. Cause that's a whole Pandora's box of mess with kids. Um, but you mentioned like letting kids help plan the meals. That's kind of a yes and no. We, we want kids to be able to have input. You know, we want them to be able to maybe, like I said, choose a piece of produce at the store, but what we want to avoid is saying, well, honey, what do you want to eat tonight? Right. Like with that, especially with that tone of like, you're clearly, you're not going to eat what I'm choosing. What do you want to eat? Or I, I obviously even sometimes we like sort of say that without words. If your kid's only eating pizza, chicken nuggets, mac and cheese and grilled cheese, and you serve that every night, yeah. you're kind of telling him, you're kind of telling him like, you're the boss of dinner, by the way, because yeah, I'm not, I'm not acting like yeah. I'm the boss. Cause I'm only serving you what, what you want. The, the tricky thing there is that that's too big of a responsibility for a kid. A kid, yeah, a kid real, can real decide. Hard, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They can decide whether they want to eat what you serve, but it's very much in the parents' sort of sphere of responsibility that we need to decide what is on the table um, because it's too, it's actually stressful. It's anxiety inducing to a kid, kind of like if you didn't have any rules or any bedtimes. You know, you're like just your kid's friend and you let them do whatever they want. That's really stressful because mm -hmm. the kid doesn't know if there's any boundaries to keep them safe. They can't articulate that, but that's how it like subconsciously feels. Same thing at the meal. If they're sort of allowed to dictate what is served, the boundaries are way too wide. So as parents, we got to say, okay, you can decide whether you eat or not. You can decide how much you can decide if you touch the dino trees you know, or the plain pasta, or if you add sauce to your pasta, right. We can incorporate a ton of choices inside the boundaries of, I decide what goes on the table. That makes sense. Oh yeah. This has been great. So, so let, let everybody know where they can find you. You have, I understand you have an e-course too. Like we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Picky eating, teaching kids to cook, um, head over to kidscookrealfood.com. We've always got um, a freebie on the page. And we can talk Becky too about maybe which freebie would be a good one. 
I think knife skills. Do you want to do you want to give your audience like our 10 minute knife skills video? Oh, yeah, we, we can put that in the show notes of the video awesome. of the um, podcast. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, we can put that in the description. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So that's our members favorite class. Every time we ask over the last eight years, they love those knife skills. And it is for ages mm-hmm. two to teen. It's the same holds on the food and the ways to hold the knife. It's just a different tool. Oh, that that's so awesome. I'm going to get that for myself too. So I can use knives because that he needs to help us cook. Like can't be freeloading anymore. We got to actually put him to work, you know, (laughs) it's time. It's your time. Yeah. Well, thanks again for, for being here today. Do you have any last words for our audience? I would say, um, parents get really overwhelmed by this idea. Like, oh my gosh, did Katie just tell me to put teach kids to cook on my to-do list? Yeah. No, I did not. I promise. Because teaching kids to cook is just a couple dozen tiny little skills. So Katie just said, you know, give your toddler a butter knife and a banana on your to-do list or teach your eight-year-old to measure a teaspoon of salt, like whatever is doable for you this week that allows them to be somewhat in any way involved with food. That's what goes on your to-do list. Even if it's literally how to measure a teaspoon of salt. Can you, can we teach our eight-year-olds and our five-year-olds this? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And that's, and that's step one. And so you just break it down into really simple baby steps and, and try to say, yes, you can come in the kitchen more than no, you don't belong here. Oh, great. Well, thanks again for being here. Hope everyone has a great day. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to the Becky Beach Show. Please go to mombeach.com forward slash podcast to learn more about my podcast and for show notes. If you want a 2022 free printable goal planner, please go to mombeach.com forward slash subscribe. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Have a great day. Goodbye. Goodbye.